heights to the depths of the sea. John chapter 20, verse 30. What does it say? It says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs or miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and notice, and that believing you might have life through his name. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The Gospel of John was probably the last of the four written, and written in view of what the previous three had already said. This is one reason why John's account of the life of Jesus is, in many ways, different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John shows Jesus came from heaven, demonstrating that Jesus is God. However, it is wrong to think that the Gospel of John completes the story of Jesus. John wrote that the story of Jesus is so big that it can never be completed. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins our study in the book of John. Yesterday was a very interesting day for me as I had kind of already was well on my way in preparation for this morning's service. And uh, literally everything that I've been sharing for the last two and a half years, everything on my iPad, the one folder... Only one folder. Now, for those of you who are iCloud people, I've got many folders, but one folder specifically, all my Bible studies, vanished. Two and a half years worth of stuff just vanished in the thin air. Gone. And then five hours later, it came back. Do you know what that did to me? It hurt my feelings. My feelings were very hurt. I only had two left. That killed both of them. But thank God they came back. It was a little glitch, I guess. But it was, uh, it was not a very easy day for me yesterday because even this morning message was gone. And so I'm like, this is not good. This is not good. But I know God would be faithful no matter what. Um, but anyway, a very interesting day yesterday. But it makes, uh, it kind of makes sense to me sometimes when, when, you, when you're teaching a book like the Gospel of John, because of the nature of this Gospel... It wouldn't surprise me, and again, I don't know whether that was the Lord or whether it was the devil or both. Maybe God certainly allowed it to happen, but I know that I know this for sure. It doesn't matter to me how or why that happened, but I can tell you this, that the devil does not want you to read this book. And we're going to talk about why in, in a little more detail before we actually get into the first few verses today. 
because it speaks of the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ is very important. In fact, it is the very thing that our faith is dependent upon. It's what, we're, what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. If he, is, if he was not God in the flesh, then we are wasting our time here. We might as well fulfill the lusts of the flesh and do whatever it is that we want to do because we would be wasting our time if he was not who he said he was and if he didn't do what he said he was going to do. Does that make sense? And so this one gospel, it doesn't mean that the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it doesn't mean that they didn't talk about the deity of Christ. For certainly they did, but this one is specific. It's, it's like John says, you know, I've, I've, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have their, their a perspective. But my perspective, I want to make sure that everyone knows that it's not just some prophet, that Jesus is not just some good man, that he was almighty God in the flesh. And folks, do you understand that that's what separates Christianity from all of the other world religions of the world? All other world religions, that separates them, that cuts them all apart, and it leaves Christ at the center, and everybody else goes home. Because no one can claim, has, can rightly claim to be God, and no one can claim that, they, that their death paid for the price of my sin. Paid the price for my sin. And not only that, but he secured for us everlasting life. And the devil... He hates that message. That is the message that is attacked more than anything, is the deity of Jesus Christ. And therefore, this gospel is very important to us. Extremely important. Now, before we get into it, there's some things we've got to talk about. We know that the author is John. The author is John the Apostle. And there have been critics over the years that have always sought to malign the, the books of the Bible, for some reason, the, the real important, I mean, they're all important, don't get me wrong, but there are some that really stand out, like John and Daniel and, and Genesis and Revelation. For some reason, liberal scholars are always trying to attack that central truth of those books because they contain some of the most important truths of the Bible and who Jesus is and where we're going in our future. And it's not unlike the devil. He, he attacks what's most important. The things that aren't important, he doesn't bother with. But he's going to attack this book, and he attacked the deity of Christ, and he's still doing it today. But even a great many of the early church fathers, people like Polycarp, who was a, a, an early church father, who was also a disciple of John the Apostle. He was a disciple of John. He even went on record to say that, um, that John wrote this gospel during his time at Ephesus. So I think he has a pretty good understanding of who wrote this book. And many of the other early church fathers agreed with that as well. It was a very well-known fact. It's, it seems like a no-brainer to us because we've always heard it. But back at that time, uh, the authorship of this book is important because that gives the, an authority to the message. And although John's name, you'll, you won't find it in the Gospel of John, He's often referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved or the other disciple. As you go through the gospel, you're going to notice that he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved or the other disciple. He never mentions himself by name, and I think that's just the humility of John. And we know that John had an older brother, James, 
They both were the sons of Zebedee, a fisherman. And both these brothers were in the fishing business with their father. And the Lord called both of them into the ministry. Even the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, talks of John as being a pillar of the church. A pillar of the church. And when we look at the Gospels, all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, other than Jesus Christ, who is the central figure of the Gospels? Any guesses? Peter. <laughs> of all the disciples... Of all the apostles, the one that's spoken of most is Peter. Not John so much. John was there, and his name is mentioned. But for some reason, the overall, um, whenever the disciples are mentioned, there's something about Peter. And, And I love Peter because I can relate to Peter, especially when I was younger. Because when I was younger, I was more impetuous. I was more impatient. I was more... Uh, spontaneous. And as I get older, I, I feel like I'm becoming a little bit more like John. John was a thinker. He, was a, he wasn't swift to talk like Peter was. Peter would say whatever was on his mind. It was like the first instance of Tourette syndrome. He would just say whatever, he, whatever came to his mind. And then he would often have this, it's where the hoof and mouth disease started. He'd always have to get his foot in his mouth because he would speak quickly and not really thinking about what he was saying. But John was of a different character. John was quiet. He was a mystic. He was a lover, not a fighter. (laughs) Peter was a brawler. At one point, I think Peter was that kind of temperament, very volatile, but John was not that way. But in the Gospels, we see uh, John. In in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus calling Simon Peter. We see him calling Andrew and James and John. In Matthew 17, we see Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, we see James and John um, asking their mother to ask Jesus about whether they could sit on either side of the Lord in his kingdom. Remember that? Also, in John 13, we also see John in that upper room at the Last Supper, leaning on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. Remember that? And it was also John who was the one who Jesus entrusted his own mother as Jesus hung on the cross. Who was it that Jesus said, behold your son? He looked at John and he says, and, or looked at his mother and he says, behold your son. And he looked at John and he says, behold your mother. In other words, John, I'm going to leave now. I want you to take care of my mother. And he did. John It tells us in in history that John took her to Ephesus and was with him. And he took care of Jesus' mother. What a great privilege that was. Can you imagine? His mother. He was the eldest son. He was passing on. And he's like, I can entrust my mother to this one, this John. And I love comically in John chapter 20, we read of, When Peter and John are running to the tomb, John is so humble in saying that he outran Peter to the tomb. He outruns him to the tomb. In John chapter 21, and we we also see Peter inquiring about John's future and Jesus rebuking him for it and saying, what what does he have to do with it? You follow me. In other words, don't worry about what I'm going to do in his life, my plan for his life. Peter, you follow me. That's what he told him. And that's good advice for us. We tend to size each other up, don't we? 
And we compare ourselves to one another. It's often a dangerous thing to compare yourself to another Christian because they are on, they're in a different place. There's seasons of life. There's seasons within our lives. And we have to be gracious and loving and compassionate with each other as we go through these seasons because it looks very different. The date of this book is kind of hard to determine. Some believe that it was written before the, the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Others give it a later date, somewhere between 85 and 95 A.D. Don't really know for sure, but it really doesn't matter. Because the content, the, the message of this is the most important part. And the main theme of it, turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 20. I want you to see this. In John chapter 20, notice in verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30, what does it say? It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs or miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and notice, and that believing you might have life through his name. You might have life in his name. That is the whole crux of this gospel. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And that is why the devil hates this book. He hates it, and he hates that you're listening to it. And he hates that you read it. But I would encourage you to read it. Notice in just a few verses prior to that, in verse 26, notice what it says. Stay right there. In verse 26, it says, after eight days, now Jesus it records his resurrection. It says, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside. And Thomas, um, we know he wasn't there in, in, on the day of the resurrection. But now eight days later, he's there in the upper room with the disciples. After eight days, Thomas with them, it says, Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst. And he said, peace be to you. And of course, they're freaking out because the doors were closed. And all of a sudden, he just appears in his new resurrected body, which evidently can trans, can go through walls. He can appear and disappear at will. He says, peace be to you. And then he said to Thomas, because Thomas was the one that wasn't there. And Jesus knew that. And he goes up to Thomas and he says, reach your finger here and look at my hands. So Jesus holds up his hands and he says, put your finger in my nail prints where the nails were. Go ahead and put your finger in there, Thomas. And reach your hand here and put it into my side where they pierced me with the sword. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And what did Thomas say? And here again is the whole meaning, the whole reason for this gospel. What did Thomas say? He answered and says, my Lord and my God. And that was why he acknowledged him as Lord and God in the flesh. And again, that is, those are fighting words in hell. Those are fighting words in the kingdom of Satan. Jesus is God in the flesh. It's very evangelical. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're known as synoptic Gospels because they cover similar material from different vantage points. But this one is very specific. In the other Gospel accounts, we read of the genealogy in Matthew and Luke specifically, we read about the genealogy. We read about the birth of Christ. We read about the baptism, the temptation, the casting of demons, 
casting out of demons, the parables, the transfiguration, the institution of the Lord's Supper, his agony in Gethsemane, his crucifixion, and certainly the ascension. But this one is very specific. And there are, and, and John's gospel doesn't touch on those at all. But rather, he focuses on seven miracles, seven signs, if you will, changing water into wine at Cana, healing an official son's uh, an official son in Capernaum, healing an invalid at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, feeding the five thousand near the Sea of Galilee, walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee, healing a blind man in Jerusalem, and certainly raising Lazarus from the dead, and all of these things only God can do. And that's why those were chosen, very specific things to portray Jesus, that he is Almighty God in the flesh. And also, these are statements that we know very well. In the Gospel of John, we see the seven I am statements, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate for the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. All of these things point to his deity in many facets, like a diamond with many facets as it's held up to the light. The beauty of Jesus Christ and all of these things. And why, is these I, why are these I am statements so significant? The Jews certainly knew because they remembered Exodus chapter 3. Remember, Moses said to God, as he was traveling on the outside, uh, in the, taking care of his father-in-law Jethro's sheep, on the backside of the desert, he saw the fiery, flaming, burning bush that wasn't consumed. And Moses said to God, said to the, fire, the, the flaming bush, as he's speaking with God, he says, Indeed, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I came to the children of Israel... And say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. Whatever you need me to be. I am all of that and much more. What is your need? See, that's, that's what God says to you. What is your need today? Because he can fulfill that need, whatever it is. No need is too small or too great. Do you believe that? Haven't you experienced that in your own life? In your own experience with the Lord? It doesn't matter. He knows everything about you. He lived in the flesh for 33 years on this earth. He knows exactly what it's all about. He endured all temptations that you and I will ever endure, and yet he was without sin. Not so much us. That's why we need him, the very blood of God taking my place. So Jesus was affirming his deity by saying, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. And why is Jesus' deity so important? Because again, if he wasn't who he said he was, then we are wasting our time. Only God can forgive sins. Only God could take the place and fulfill his own righteous standard for the sin of man. Only he could do it. Nobody else could do it. That is why it's so important. Sin and death began in the garden. 
And what does it tell us in Romans 5, verse 12? Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned, notice, from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Only God can forgive sins. And what is God's decree concerning this sin? It is death. Isn't that a great topic? You thought when we got out of Revelation we wouldn't talk about it anymore, right? In Ezekiel, the, in Ezekiel 18 verse 4 it says, God says, The soul that sins, that continues to sin, shall surely die. In Romans 6.23, what does it tell us? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A wage is something you earn, and when I sin, I earn death. But, what does it say? The gift of God. A gift is not something that you earn. A gift is something that's freely given. And what is that gift? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. How important is it That Jesus died for our sin. How important is it that he is deity, that he is almighty God in the flesh? I would say it's everything. See, we could not pay the price for our sin. Had it not been for God's grace, mercy, and compassion, we would have been eternally separated from God in the lake of fire forever. So I think this is important. In Hebrews 9, it says, uh, 22, it says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Without, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There has to be a substitute, because God says, The soul that sins shall surely die. That's why, even in the Old Testament, even the animal sacrifices, they were insufficient. They covered for a time, but it wasn't permanent. It was something they had to do over and over and over again. In Hebrews chapter 10, what does it say? For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So even in the Old Testament, the, the sacrificial system, it was temporary. It wasn't something that was permanent. Until Christ came and offered himself once and for all, In Hebrews 9, verse 11, it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Remember that word tabernacle, because next week we'll get into, and the word became flesh and was tabernacled among us. But notice what it says. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats, notice this, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Wow. There it is. It's his deity, 
necessary? Is it important? Yes, it is, because of the sin issue. Only God can forgive sins. And it wasn't until Jesus that he did it. That's why he said on the cross, it is finished. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.